You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Just one eight eight Central African Time. Let's welcome a pious and sagacious Ummah with a hearty Assalamu Alaikum wa Rasmatullahi wa Barakatuh. Yes, sir, the program is uh, Medical Files, and Alhamdulillah, looking forward to, uh, to a powerful interaction from the Ummah this evening. And I remember before we get into and welcome our guests uh, that our numbers are uh, our WhatsApp number is oh eight four seven eight six three one three two oh eight four seven eight six three one three two. Alhamdulillah, this evening. You know, we are privileged to have a general surgeon with a special uh, special interest in uh, trauma, and he's awaiting to complete a trauma critical care examination. And he does work in a trauma ICU unit at Inco C Albert Lutuli Central Hospital, uh, pre-COVID. Uh, you know. All uh, they attended to was a trauma because of a load uh, due to COVID, uh, COVID uh, you know, trauma ICU has been modifi- modified to accept all uh, non-COVID ICU patients. And he's none other than uh, Dr. Firoz Ganchi. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And uh, doctor, tell me, how are you doing this fine, uh, beautiful Wednesday evening? Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah, shukr to Allah, very well. Alhamdulillah, and how are you doing? Alhamdulillah, all the better to hear your voice and uh, good to have a uh, surgeon, you know, a trauma surgeon uh, this evening. And Alhamdulillah, you know, uh, people, perhaps the first thing that goes through their mind is Shafa'at asks the surgeon, uh, what is a trauma surgeon? And I know, uh, I mean, you have a, uh, you're a surgeon, but you have a, uh, a, a general, uh, you, you, you have this interest, a special interest in trauma. So tell us about, uh, you know, what you do, doctor, exactly what you do. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a very uh, exciting field, but it's also a very traumatic field also, uh, doctor. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ومن يسألك علما نافعا وعوذ بك من علم لا ينفع. I think the title of trauma surgeon is uh, quite overrated, you know. Uh, like uh, urologist is a specialist in the urological system, um, pulmonologist a specialist in the lungs. Uh, so too is the trauma surgeon, you know. Uh, we deal with injuries. Um, and alhamdulillah, it's, it's injuries to all parts of the body. And obviously, when it's uh, specialized, then we refer it to those three specialities. Um, based in an ICU that we are in at the moment, we receive those patients who are potentially for ICU care. So we're not an open unit that, uh, you know, sees people off the road, but we get patients that are critically ill and either post-intervention from the base hospital will require intervention and then are for intensive care monitoring thereafter. So it's, uh, we're really dealing with those patients who uh, have sustained trauma, both blunt and penetrating. Blunt are the kind of assaults, motor vehicle accidents, uh, fall from heights, uh, and then you get the you know, electrical shocks, you get the snake bites. Those are the, you know, the things that encompass blunt. And then the penetrating trauma is the stab wounds and the gunshot wounds and uh, the stabs from bottles and screwdrivers and all the, all, you know, all the kind of things that people injure themselves with. So that basically was what we were dealing with prior to the onset of the COVID pandemic. Uh, our f- uh, work was based predominantly around trauma. Our workload was, alhamdulillah, a fair amount. And then came along the COVID pandemic and it changed things quite significantly. And because of the load of the COVID patients in the other ICUs, and also, I think, coupled to the issue of uh, 
limitations on the use of alcohol, uh, plus minus uh, the curfews, the trauma case numbers had decreased significantly, alhamdulillah. Uh, you know, and because of that, the hospital reshuffled the way patients would be allocated. So our ICU then became the non-COVID non ICU, both trauma and non-trauma. Uh, so alhamdulillah, uh, in the last couple of months, we've been dealing with trauma and non-trauma cases. And uh, that's basically an overview of what we do, of, of the, 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 the unit that I work in. Alhamdulillah, Dr. Firoz, uh, brilliant indeed. And, you know, generally when I think of a general surgeon, I think of, you know, you using a surgical procedures uh, perhaps to remove disease or repair injuries and uh, maybe uh, promote health and healing. And I also uh, visualize you, you know, you, you're performing uh, different diagnostic uh, tests and, uh, you know, you do all things like that. And tell us uh, some of, uh, do you do surgery on all parts of the body, uh, doctor? See, uh, basically, most of our um, trauma is, or the trauma that we need to operate on usually, is chest, abdomen, and limited things on the limbs. Uh, we, we can include neck in that as well. So if we need to operate on a neck, then we do. If we need to operate on a chest, we do. If we need to operate on an abdomen, we do. Uh, for example, if you have issues in the neck, that need uh, special attention. If we can't manage, then we call on specialities that may be able to help us. For example, the vascular surgeons or the ear, nose, and throat surgeons. Uh, when it comes to head and neurosurgery, we don't do neurosurgical intervention. It's not part of our job description. When it comes to chest, we open the chest and we're able to do uh, some procedures in the chest. If you run into further trouble, then it's uh, you call upon your cardiothoracic colleagues to assist you. Uh, and then you, you, you do sometimes uh, have to do, deal with the occasional vessel, so an injury to a vessel. If you can manage it, then you fix it yourself. If not, then you call upon the vascular surgeons. And then obviously when it comes to bones and those things, those we refer to the orthopedic surgeon. So the unit, alhamdulillah, uh, how it functions is it, uh, when there is polytrauma. Polytrauma means uh, injury at more than one site, uh, injury involving more than one system. And then we do call upon other specialists to assist us. You know, so if a patient comes in, they, uh, you know, it's almost like a one-stop shop, one -stop shop. You know, you'd get your abdomen fixed and the orthopods will fix your bones and the neurosurgeons will uh, evacuate the clot from your head. So that's basically where we fit into the whole uh, big picture, you know. And then in, in initial intervention, uh, the patients then come to ICU. ICU is a slightly different ball, uh, ball game, you know. Uh, it's patients who need uh, ventilatory support, so it's machines that are breathing for them or supporting their breathing. And then there's drugs that support the heart that's probably not pumping strong enough. It's supplementing nutrition in patients that are not able to take nutrition. It's um, antibiotics and, you know, uh, so it, it's quite a complex thing. I see you is quite complex, yeah? It's uh, quite complex indeed, uh, but Alhamdulillah, you sound so cool, calm, and collected. You know, you have a very steady hand, uh, doctor, to be a surgeon. He is not playing. And, you know, uh, also, uh, you know, you get a lot of people suffering from cancer. And, you know, uh, how often do you operate on uh, uh, patients uh, that, uh, you know, have succumbed to uh, or are in, in a state of cancer, doc? Uh, our trauma unit, uh, we don't deal with the cancer cases. Those get referred to this uh, specialities. So, you know, depending on the region in which they are, uh, which system they're involving, they get referred to 
super specialist within the hospital. Uh, general surgeons usually deal with both the trauma and with the cancer surgery, you know. But uh, uh, on our side, our predominant patient load is for the trauma. So uh, we, we don't do cancer surgery in the unit that I work in, no. Okay, and you know, perhaps uh, someone will ask you, what is the riskiest uh, surgery to do, doctor? You know, I, I don't think there's one straight answer for that. Um, I, I think the risk comes when patients' lives are on on, on the line, you know, and um, uh, there's critical decisions that need to be made that will uh, either save the patient's life, uh, you know, with uh, the will of Allah, or the patient's going to die also with the will of Allah, you know. Uh, so uh, it, it can be anyway. It can be in the neck, it can be in the chest, it can be in the abdomen, where, you, you know, you'd be faced with a scenario where a decision would uh, decide whether or not that patient would live further or not. Obviously, we don't take that decision. That decision rests with Allah, obviously. But, uh, yeah, you know, from a, uh, how, how would you, uh, you know, the reason for explaining the death, if you were to look at it like that, yeah. And perhaps, you know, uh, m- many people complain about stones and this and uh, a, a gallbladder removal. You know, how risky or how easy or how hard is uh, uh, that type of procedure? I believe, uh, you know, many of my friends, uh, they will tell me, hey, chef, it's, uh, it's an easy procedure. Go and, uh, go and have it done. Your, your thoughts on that, doctor? See, um, with regard to surgery, uh, you know, uh, I think any any surgeon will testify to the fact that uh, you're always going to get uh, a wide spectrum of patients presenting. Even, for example, you use, you quoted an example of, a, of, of gallbladder surgery, you know. Uh, you'd get surgery that would be uh, simple. You'd go in there and the gallbladder would come out without any issue whatsoever. And then you'd get the complicated one. And even uh, uh, an experienced surgeon would be humbled by it, you know. Uh, with regards to the gallbladder surgery, if you're asking about it, Alhamdulillah, the field of surgery has advanced quite a bit in that lots of surgery these days is not done open. So there's no need to open the, the, the belly or the abdomen extensively to take out the gallbladder. You know, it's done via laparoscope. That's basically using a camera. So you'd make three small ports or four depending on, on the surgeon. And one would be for your camera. And you take it out through these small ports. So it's basically four little ports probably the size of your thumb, uh, which have uh, a tubing. A camera goes into it, and um, you use instruments through the other ports. You dissect whatever you need to do. You cut whatever you need to do, and you remove the gallbladder through that. And, and what that does is it shortens the patient's hospital stay time, and also their return to work is much, much quicker. Uh, not necessarily work, but return, you know, uh, discharge from hospital and return to their normal environment is much quicker than had you had uh, large surgery before. And, you know, almost everything these days is getting done laparoscopically. So it's not just gallbladder, it's gallbladder and it's appendix. And um, the, the urologists are doing, they're, they're taking out kidneys, um, you know, big cancer surgery also, uh, a small co- small bowel, large bowel being removed and surgery being done laparoscopically. And uh, the, the field of laparoscopic surgery has come a, has come a long way, yeah, uh, for, with, with obvious great benefit to the patient.
Alhamdulillah, absolutely brilliant. And uh, looking at a question already, my engineer has typed uh, something on the screen. It's from uh, Sakina. She says, Assalamu alaikum, uh, doctor. We were waiting for a general surgeon and Jazakallah khair for gracing uh, the platforms of Marcus Sahaba. Yes, uh, doctor. Ahlan wa And she says, I heard uh, about liposuction. Why should I do it, uh, doctor? If I am I too, uh, when, I, when I'm too fat, must I go for liposuction? Uh, doctor, how do you uh, respond to Sakina? Uh, regarding liposuction, it's outside of my field of expertise. Uh, I feel it will be un, uh, unfair if I answer the patient, uh, <laughs> answer the questioner. Uh, that should be referred to somebody who does the surgery, what the indications there uh, are, are there for, uh, what are the advantages, what are the disadvantages of it uh, prior to it, what are the alternatives, uh, what are the disadvantages of having it, and what would you expect to get after it. So it's out of, outside of my field of expertise, so I, I cannot comment about it. Jazakallah yeah? <laughs> khair for that. Uh, Sakina, we'll get a doctor for you, don't worry. But uh, I tell you, uh, Dr. Firoz uh, Kanchi is firing on all yeah. cylinders this evening. What about bone marrow uh, you know, transplant? Do you do that, Doc? No, that, that's not for us. That's the transplant team that does that. They do yeah. bone marrow transplant, yeah. And also your total uh, hip replacement, I'm sure you you the that's surgeon that does no, it. No, those are orthopedics. Hey, okay, okay, yeah, we, we don't uh, do much, man. definitely we, uh, you know, we, we have, uh, we, we have uh, our when specials. Somebody asks, it's quite funny if I tell you uh, how I describe what um, uh, the trauma surgeons do, you know. If there's a hole, we fix the hole, and if we can't fix it, then we cut it out and we join up, you know. So our job is very much uh, fix what, what's fixable, and what's not fixable, take it out and make a plan and, and go around it. So it's not very complex. It's, it's uh, highly overrated, yeah. Hello, can you hear me? Uh, uh, sorry, know. doctor. We uh, we had a, a mute button uh, on you. Uh, you know, you are very humble in how you describe yourself. And you know, he that humbles himself will be elevated, and he that elevates himself will be humbled. And uh, absolutely brilliant. And you know, especially looking at uh, the scenario today with uh, COVID, uh, you know, and uh, people are in a paranoia mode. Do you find yourself as a uh, doctor now, as a general surgeon? You know, you need to be a counselor and a surgeon. Uh, uh, doctor? You know, uh, with regards to the, the topic of COVID, um, I think everybody, or more, lots of doctors have had to come to the party, you know. And uh, alhamdulillah, um, a small group of uh, businessmen and ulama put together a group called the COVID Medics Home Care Group, you know. And alhamdulillah, uh, we make sure to Allah that Allah allowed us to be part of it and be of benefit to to mankind at large. I mean, there was no dis, uh, discrimination as to whether you were Muslim or not, or male or female, or whichever racial uh, group you came from. And what was happening is when the COVID was at its peak and there were no hospital beds available, you know, or patients were choosing not to go to hospital for, for whatever reason, uh, there was a group that was established, and alhamdulillah, we were part of it, and offering patients home care. So in addition to just the counseling, like you mentioned, there was actually a uh, home care. So uh, the, the way the group would work is there was an advert sent out with a number that you would message your details to, and uh, the administrative and the triage groups would then uh, um, sift through the information that was there, obviously with the help of doctors and administrative people, uh, decide which patients really need face-to-face -face consultations. So of the group of, uh, of doctors that were there, some would do face-to-face -face consultations, so they'd go out to the patient's home, uh, history, examination, uh, and order whatever was necessary, so blood tests, 
and if that was necessary, if the patient could get to the facilities for getting the bloods done, or otherwise uh, arrange for uh, healthcare workers to come to the patients at their home. Uh, so you do the blood test at their home. Those patients requiring oxygenators uh, get the oxygenators to them, uh, get medication delivered to them. And alhamdulillah, you know, uh, we make shukar to Allah that uh, many, many, many patients averted going to hospital. And alhamdulillah, many, many of them recovered. And uh, we make shukar to the organizers, the organizers of that group, you know, those who took the initiative to establish it. Uh, alhamdulillah, we ask Allah to grant them desaikhah for their effort. Amen. And uh, I'm sure the patients that were treated in, by that group also uh, share the same sentiment. So, yeah, COVID did change the functioning. Uh, At one stage, there was absolutely no trauma. Uh, Our trauma unit had uh, very, very few patients uh, because of the alcohol uh, limitations and the curfews. But uh, at that stage, the COVID was keeping us busy, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, Dr. Firoz. I can also tell you that Muslims had uh, come to the fore and uh, really made the Ummah proud. And Alhamdulillah, you know, you sound uh, rather very young doctor indeed, and uh, mashallah, coming on uh, so positively uh, this evening. I'm really enjoying your energy. Also, you know, you talk about uh, children. Depends what you uh, quantify uh, as young, you know. Uh, is it uh, age or young at heart? Allah, Allah, I'm not sure what you should <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're young, Doc. Hey, come here. You got no, uh, you know, you got a six pack there. You don't have a belly. Hey, you look much. Look at the nur on you, too, mashallah. And uh, Doc, you know, talking about. I look like I'm people. I tell you, hey, I can feel that energy here. <laughs> Gee, Doctor, you know, uh, children. You know, how often do you operate on children? And that must be the hardest thing when you have. A kid, you know, that comes uh, for uh, surgery. How often do you uh, do that, Doc? Look, part of the trauma rotation, or part of uh, the the work, uh, the job description of the unit that I work in is to accept uh, pediatric patients also um, that that come for, uh, you know, that have been injured. And uh, it's not too often that, I mean, it's not uh, too uncommon that we do also get pediatric patients. Uh, There's been a split in this last week. Uh, of uh, some snake bite uh, victims, and obviously uh, motor vehicle accidents. Well, once the alcohol flows again, uh, the, the motor vehicle accidents just instantly go up. And unfortunately, uh, lots and lots of children get knocked, you know. Um, so uh, lots of them have come to us. I think if I remember clearly, our unit at the moment has got three or four little ones, uh, uh, pediatric patients, you know. And, uh, you know, you've you got to deal with it uh, in, in the most professional and uh, mature way as you can, and uh, obviously pediatric uh, touches the heart a little bit more than do the adults. But uh, yeah, uh, you know you got to do what you got to do at the, at the end of the day. Yeah, alhamdulillah, as you said, uh, you have to do what you have to do at the end of the day. And alhamdulillah, you know, when uh, spe- uh, perhaps when people, you know, uh, skin burns or uh, three degree burns and all, how do you handle patients like that, doc? Yeah, alhamdulillah, um, our trauma unit is also linked to the burns unit. There's a, a specialized burns unit at Koshyabatu uh, Tudi as well. Um, uh, burns is, is, is quite nasty. Uh, it's not a nice way of being injured. Uh, not that anything else is, is, is uh, it's not nice to be injured by a knife or a gun either. But, uh, yeah, burns is a little bit more challenging in that uh, recoveries are not as quick. You know, like, like I told you, our job is if you find a hole made by a bullet, Either you fix it or you cut out that part and you bypass it, you know. Uh, mm. With burns, it's not like that. 
Some of them, they need to have uh, the burnt areas cleaned up and removed. Uh, lots of them that come to the burns unit come for skin grafting. And then the complications of the skin grafting, uh, they call it contractures, you know, where over the joints, the joints get stiff. So you need to release those contractures so that the patients can then move um, their joints through full range of movement. Uh, burns is quite challenging, uh, painful for the patients, quite the hard work for the doctors and the staff in the unit as well. Um, infection being a, a serious problem. Uh, yeah, alhamdulillah, uh, you know, you, the, the burns unit is separated, divided into an adult side and a pediatric side. And, uh, you know, when you talk about pediatric, when you spoke earlier about pediatrics, uh, pediatric burns are, are nasty. They, they're really not nice to see and not nice to deal with. Uh, your heart goes mm-hmm. out to the little ones that burn. Uh, and most of them are accidental, you know, uh, whether it is flame or hot water or hot oil or porridge. Um, yeah, it, it's, um, it's quite challenging, alhamdulillah. Yes, uh, Doc, perhaps, uh, you know, a question that went through my mind is, uh, you know, if you look our, at our dem- uh, demographic, we, we have a rainbow nation, and uh, which group is more susceptible to burns, uh, you know? Is it, uh, you know, our indigenous people because of uh, having gas stove or, you know, the, the, the fire or things like that? And uh, perhaps uh, they are more, you know, uh, you, you find that more of the burnt patient comes from, uh, no, from that, that group, that, that uh, case, Doc? Uh, what you're saying is spot on. Um, it's the um, uh, lower income groups where there's no electricity and where they're cooking on fires or, you know, where the uh, homes and the, the, the households are small, uh, scenarios where people are needing to boil water, where there's no fancy geysers available. Uh, those are the scenarios that are prone to accidental burns much more than the very shielded uh, upmarket uh, dwellings, you know. So, yeah, uh, what you said is correct. It's the Indian population that are more prone to the burn. Gee, Doctor, and I can tell you, I'm really enjoying myself with you. And, uh, yes, uh, listeners, uh, yeah, it's time for us to take your uh, uh, questions. Alhamdulillah. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't forget the number. It's uh, 084-786-3132. And, inshallah, when we get back, we will be uh, forwarding that. Oh, I'll be asking a doctor your questions. Let's go for a quick break. You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Yes, just gone 8.33 Central African time in consultation with Dr. Firoz Ganchi, a general surgeon with a special interest in tra- trauma. Alhamdulillah, get your questions in. And the number is 084-786-3132. Lucalo will be typing that on the screen for me. Uh, this question says, Assalamu alaikum. A really beautiful show indeed. Can uh, our surgeon please explain the challenges of stopping blood flowing? Example, uh, accident victims whose uh, bodies are torn open. We will appreciate the answer here on uh, on the, the show. This is uh, Ben from uh, the beachfront from the Musa family. Well, Doc, uh, how do you give an answer to Ben from uh, the uh, beachfront? Uh, you know, uh, as a doctor and uh, as a doctor, firstly, uh, you get taught uh, the principles of stopping bleeding, you know. Um, I, I think I'm going to take a short, uh, a couple of seconds to say that um, it is quite important that, inshallah, uh, lay people, I'm talking about non-medical people, uh, can learn what techniques to employ in a first aid scenario to stop bleeding. You know, and depending on your level of expertise and how much you want to get involved, uh, you can... Uh, 
certain bleeders, you know. Uh, and basic principles, I mean, for, for lay people, you talk about direct pressure. So the area that's bleeding, you press on it. You know, you press on the area that's bleeding. It's not giving you definitive control, but it's giving you enough control to buy you time until somebody who's going to do definitive care can help you. You know, uh, so that's one of the techniques of stopping it. And then obviously, uh, from a surgical point of view, uh, you know, you learn pressure and uh, more pressure, and then you need to suture, uh, and then you can, uh, um, you know, use special agents that you use to stop bleeding. I mean, now the, the market these days has got uh, uh, products that stop bleeding that come in the form of gauze, that come in the form of gels which you can inject onto it, that come in the form of powders that you can put onto them. So we use those, but for the most part, uh, in surgery itself, you know, uh, you stop the bleeding. Uh, you're using sutures, uh, that's uh, stitching. Uh, you use cautery, uh, you know, which is in, in electrical current, there's different kinds of cautery. And then there's obviously other techniques that you use from a surgical point of view to stop the bleeding. I mean, if there's a vessel that's bleeding, you've got to get control before the direction in which the blood is flowing and after the injury also so that you get control on both sides and you minimize the bleeding. So there's quite a few techniques that you can use. But I think the, the take-home point here would be that for lay people to learn how to control bleeding in a first aid environment. You know, if you, if you can get to do something like that, uh, you, could, you too could be of benefit to those who are injured. Absolutely brilliant, Doctor, and I like uh, your concern there, and, uh, you know, conscientizing the people. You know, yesteryear when, uh, you know, we used to get cut and all our our grandmothers used to just take turmeric, some salt, and this bandage, has uh, put the bandage around it, and uh, it seemed to have uh, helped us uh, the, uh, yesteryear, Doctor. Uh, perhaps your, your comments? You know, um, there's lots of uh, tried and tested uh, medical therapies for things, and there's obviously outside within, outside the realm of medicine, things that uh, are used, you know. Uh, there's traditional medicine, there's traditional techniques. Like you said, you insert turmeric, you know. Uh, I, I'm in no position to tell you that turmeric has or hasn't got uh, anti-bleeding properties. You know, it's not something that I've researched and I'm an authority to say that. But, I mean, if you were to ask my grandmother or your grandmother, like you said, and they say that the turmeric stops the bleeding, you know. Uh, now, coming from the Western background of a doctor, I would say, but hold on a second, the turmeric has got the potential to cause infection. You know, so uh, those are the, the, the pros and the cons that you've got to play with, you know. But, uh, I mean, if you're in a scenario where there's nothing else uh, that you have available, then you do what you have to do, you know, to stop the bleeding. And if there's a technique that you know and somebody else doesn't know and it's not going to cause more harm to the patient... You know, because as Muslims, we obviously want to not cause more harm because we're answerable mm. to Allah. You know, at the end of the day, uh, you'll be answerable to Allah for your actions. So you won't embark, embark on anything that you don't have knowledge about. Uh, you won't embark on things that are beyond you. And you won't embark on things that are going to cause harm to the patient rather than good. So if you're sure that uh, what you're doing is going to stop the bleeding and carry the patient or, you know, give you that time until somebody can intervene in a more definitive way, uh, who am I to say, no, don't do it, you know? I'm not mm. the authority on anything like that, yeah. Now, Alhamdulillah, as I said, you're very humble. Uh, there's a few questions there. If you don't want to answer them, Doc, you just say, pass, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll move on to another. Uh, this one says, Assalamu alaikum and welcome to Doctor.
please uh, tell us what's the most testing trauma surgery you've been faced with? Well, they're asking you a top question there, Doc. See, um, uh, I, I think um, the way to look at it, you know, is if, if I were to say uh, the most testing, um, it, it would be the atypical kind of surgery, you know. It's not surgery that you see uh, on, a, on a day-to-day basis, you know. So, for example, if you get a gunshot wound to the abdomen and it's caused injury to the small bowel and the large bowel, because you see so much of it, you, you, you eventually get good at it, you know. Uh, you, you get through it quite quickly and you'll get... But when you get atypical things, you know, uh, like instead of maybe a gunshot wound, you'll see shrapnel injuries or uh, chemical injuries, you know, uh, those uh, offer you more of a challenge. So it's obviously something that you're not okay with, something that you're not doing on a day-to-day basis that you see uh, that uh, provides challenges. And obviously the difficulty levels of those go up. You're not experienced at it. Uh, That's where the challenges come, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at a question from uh, Noor Al-Kurdi. Hey, that's a nice surname, Al-Kurdi. Maybe Doc's a friend, I don't know. He says, uh, Doctor, you have experienced uh, this uh, pandemic uh, firsthand. Please uh, share with us your perspective on the COVID pandemic in general as a global event. Hey, Doc, maybe can you condense that in two, three minutes? Inshallah, I'll try and do that uh, in two or three minutes. You know, uh, I, I see this COVID pandemic, well, I, I don't know if my eyes are seeing things as a different, differently to other people, you know. And, um, you know, lots and lots of people have made dua that Allah grant uh, nasr to the Muslimin and uh, those who are making zulam, uh, Ya Allah, you take care of them in the way that you know that's best, you know. Now, if we look at, look at this COVID pandemic, uh, and I'm saying I'm looking at it through my eyes, uh, I, I'm no authority on it, but uh, I mean, I'm, I'm look, telling you what I think, you know. Uh, you know, you, you, you created the pandemic that's given us uh, these lockdown scenarios where you've taken away people's freedom, you've taken away their ability to party, you've taken away their ability to intermingle freely, You've taken, away, you've taken away their ability to travel freely. You've taken away their ability to drink alcohol freely. That in its own right already is a punishment for the people who don't believe, you know. And then they die from mm. it. You know, and then they die from it. You know, so you've lost dunya, and then you die. And uh, as for Allah, it, 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 it's the fire, you know. So they've been destroyed. Whereas if you look at it from the Muslim perspective... And there's a hadith of Nabi Sallallahu something to the effect that a person who dies in a pandemic uh, gets the status of a shaheed, you know. And uh, alhamdulillah, if you look at it at that, maybe we won't be as crazy as we're being at the moment. And anything that people are putting on the market, we're grabbing it. You know, I, I sometimes laugh and I say, if I were to take water and put some coloring into it and, and put it into a bottle and say, this is a cure mm. for COVID, I'll probably become a millionaire. Because people are so scared of dying. But what is wrong with us Muslims that if Nabi Sallallahu has told us that if you die in a pandemic, you are going to get death of a shaheed. How many of us in the scenarios that we live in can say we're going to get the status of shaheed or shahada? We're not in, in, engaged in those activities. Yet Allah is giving us this opportunity, you know. So those who have died from it, I consider among the fortunate ones, you know, and kullu min Allah khair, you know, whatever is from Allah is khair. And if we see it as that, we're not going to get all hyped up about it and uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I mean, that's my perspective on it, you know. 
what it is for the kuffar and what it is for the Muslim is very different. Alhamdulillah. And it's from Allah. Yeah, you know, absolutely. If you want to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then you yearn for that. I mean, you, uh, it's a, that, that's the only way you meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as you said, most of them, uh, I mean, are shaheed uh, as a Muslim. And, you know, I've been talking to the burial council and to lots of uh, these uh, uh, brothers that work in the uh, Mayat field. And they tell me, you know, Shafa'at, you should see the nur on the faces of the, the brothers that passed away due to COVID at hospitals and things like that. And, you know, yeah, nur ala nur. And as you said, uh, they're all martyrs. And uh, doctor, you did uh, well there. Absolutely brilliant. Spoken like a true Muslim there. Uh, looking at this question, it says, uh, Assalamu alaikum, Shafa'at and uh, Dr. Feroz. Do trauma patients feel actual pain or are they too much in a shock to feel this? Jazakallah for a top show. Uh, doctor? Look, as far as, uh, as I know and as far as the research is concerned, uh, trauma patients do feel lots of pain. Uh, you know, if we sustain small injuries, we feel pain. So I have no doubt that patients who sustain uh, large injuries do feel lots of pain. And uh, an important part of our management of patients is analgesia, is pain control. Uh, from the time that they come to us in the initial resuscitation area, uh, during theater, during operations, uh, after theater, in the wards, when they go home. Uh, and um, pain is obviously a serious, serious issue, a serious consideration. And obviously we've... Uh, uh, included it in our management uh, plan to include good analgesia, you know. So give what's necessary, when necessary, to the patients that have sustained trauma. Alhamdulillah. Hafsa Masi says, uh, Assalamu alaikum to uh, Shafa'at and uh, Dr. Firoz. Jazakallah for giving value on A. My question is, what happens to a trauma patient who needs immediate attention but is left aside due to many delays at reception, example, paperwork, uh, or overcrowding, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Very good question from Hafsa Masi, uh, doctor. Ma'am, uh, you know, uh, the, the, with regards to trauma, um, uh, evidence-based medicine talks about the golden hour. You know, the golden hour of trauma is usually from the time of injury, the first hour thereafter, and any medi- uh, any uh, interventions in that first hour are shown to improve outcomes both from a mobility and mortality point of view. So mobility meaning how quickly you heal and the complications thereof, and mortality is how, how you die, you know. And uh, obviously if there are delays in, in getting treatment, uh, you do uh, or you are more prone to more mobility and you're prone to mortality. I mean, that, that goes without saying, yeah. For various reasons, yes. there's delays, you know. There's delays in getting to hospitals. There's delays mm. in the hospital services. There's delays like the sister mentioned regarding administration that needs to be sorted first. But uh, yeah, there, there definitely is an impact on uh, on patient outcomes if there are delays. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at Babu, he says, Assalamu alaikum, Shafa'at. I don't miss this program for anything, and my salams to Dr. Two. How difficult is it uh, to remove a bullet from the heart, and will such a patient survive? Uh, second, part of, uh, second part of my question, I heard if bullet uh, can't be removed, some people survive with bullet left in the body. How does that affect them in the long term? Uh, I know a friend of mine many, many years ago had a bullet uh, in his spine. And he still survived. He's uh, in his 60s now, Doc. Now, um, uh, regarding uh, bullets and foreign bodies, you know, uh, not all bullets and foreign bodies need to be removed. There are special indications for when they should be removed. Um, usually, it's the tract along which they travel 
that they cause damage, and that's what needs to be fixed. I quoted an example earlier on regarding if uh, you know you sustain a gunshot to the to the abdomen, to the, to, to the tummy, uh, it causes injury to the small bowel, to the large bowel, to the kidneys, to the liver, to the spleen. You usually go and fix the injuries that it's caused. Uh, it's not routine that you go and you fish out and look for these foreign bodies unless there's special indications. And yes, you can live with bullets and foreign bodies inside of you without there being any problems uh, in the short term and the long term. However, there's also scenarios where if bullets are in uh, certain positions close to vessels and in specific indications, again, like I said, that they do need to be removed, some urgently and some non-urgently. But you can quite easily live with bullets without any problem whatsoever, yeah? Okay, uh, Salam. I am a, a big uh, dadu of the family. They all know me. I'm first a businessman and second a Marcus uh, radio fan. Shafat, I like you on air. Mufti AK is our family leader. Please uh, greet the doctor. Doctor, you're getting a lot of greetings uh, this evening. And they're all, they, they, they're all taking to you. I mean, uh, can, can you feel the love, uh, doctor? No. <laughs> You can feel the love of the Ummah for you. You got something. You got a magnet somewhere, mashallah. Okay, he goes on to say, My query is, what if organs are squashed and ripped in an accident? How does the, how does the doctor deal with that? A very uh, graphic uh, questions coming through this evening. You know, it's... Like I said earlier, you know, our job is uh, not a very high-tech job. Uh, if it's fixable, you fix it. And some organs, if they're not fixable, you take them out, you know. So if the spleen's damaged, then you can't fix it, you take it out. If uh, a kidney, one, not both, is significantly damaged, you can take it out. If a small bowel uh, or large bowel, depending on how much is damaged, you can uh, remove it without too much of an issue. It includes the stomach. And, uh, yeah, so there are parts of the body that you can remove and the body would function as close to normal as is possible without that organ. Uh, and then some you attempt to repair. I mean, you, you can't go and uh, rip out somebody's whole liver. However, if uh, just a lobe uh, and you is damaged, or, you know, a part of it is damaged, and you could remove it and still maintain function of the rest of it, you could do that as well, yeah? So uh, that's how it is. Well, lucky Doc is not a computer technician. He'll be taking out all the ICs, if they no good, throw it away, throw it away. That thing will malfunction. But Alhamdulillah, you know, you know, in your field, you know how to handle it. Uh, you, uh, Haji from Elodium says, Assalamu alaikum. Uh, I, uh, I, my family and I always listen to the uh, show, and on my uh, other side, uh, I have the Kamisas also. Uh, family members there in Port Chepstin. Jazakallah for a highly informative program. Allah reward the doctor for their lives he has saved thus far. Now can, for example, I'm allergic uh, to penicillin and I'm in need of trauma surgery. How will they know that? Okay, good question. He needs a trauma surgery or he needs a surgery and uh, he's a penicillin uh, uh, patient, uh, doc. So, uh, you know, uh, with regards to trauma, if you can talk to the patient and get the history about allergies, it's something that's important that you get. If it's not from the patient themselves, it's from collaterals, so it's family or friends that are around the patient. Uh, and uh, failure of that, uh, you know, if you do give the penicillin, uh, in, in your ignorance, that means you don't know that the patient is uh, penicillin allergy, then you need to be able to deal with the allergic reaction that comes thereafter, you know. 
And then uh, if you do know if that patients are allergic to certain drugs, not just penicillin, then you use alternatives, you know. Uh, but that's if you know about it. If you don't know about it and you do give it and you get a reaction, then you need to be able to deal with the reaction. That, that's what it is, you know. So when you get taught pharmacology, that, uh, get taught about drugs, you need to know uh, how they work. You need, there's a whole list you go through before you just prescribe a drug, you know. And one of it is if you get a, a adverse reaction to it, how to deal with that adverse reaction to the drug. So it's not an end of the world if you're allergic to penicillin, inshallah. Uh, you pray that you never ever need the trauma surgery, number one. And number two, uh, inshallah, if you do need it, then uh, inshallah somebody will tell us about it. And if not, then we must be able to deal with what follows. Yeah, alhamdulillah. Firoz RB says, Assalamu alaikum, Uncle Shafaat and uh, Dr. Firoz. Uh, my khaki asked me to text, the sh- uh, to text the show. She wants to know in what situation do limbs have to be cut off and what prevents a trauma doctor from uh, saving a limb? Jazakallah for the answer in advance, uh, doctor. Oh, yeah. Uh, look, see, uh, also this serious criteria with regard to taking off limbs, uh, you know, when you take off a limb, you remember that it doesn't grow back, you know. So uh, it's a serious thing. I mean, it's a serious uh, debility. If somebody loses a limb, upper limbs more than lower limbs, um, there are the specific criteria by which you uh, go before you just chop limbs off. Uh, functionality, uh, sepsis, those are all, you know, some of the contributory factors that will point you in a direction as to whether or not the limb can be taken off or not, you know. Uh, it's something that gets taught at that length. There's uh, scoring systems that you use, uh, limb injury scores and uh, mangled limb scores before you take limbs off, you know. Um, you, you know, uh, I think another principle to think about uh, in medicine is you do to patients like you would like it done to yourself. Do mm. to patients that you would like done to yourself, you know. Uh, that, that comes back to answerability to Allah, you know, accountability to Allah where you wouldn't want somebody to chop off your hand inadvertently or your leg inadvertently, knowing well that the consequences thereof are huge, you know. So likewise, when you are faced with patients, uh, you know, you, you, take that, you take your time in making those decisions before you just go and take off limbs. Visual limbs, uh, you know, who puts them on? Who does all that? Are you involved in that procedure also? Uh, our... our um, Involvement in that usually is, uh, you know, uh, like they ask, uh, whose limbs do you take off, you know, and when do you amputate? So when you do the amputations, you try and do them in a way that is most conducive to getting a prosthetic limb fitted. But the actual fitting and the measuring and all of that is done by the orthotists and the prosthetists, you know. Uh, they, that's a speciality of their own. Uh, they come and they measure, and uh, it is a field that's also advanced, uh, uh, leaps and bounds in the last couple of years where it's not just something that's prosthe- you know, uh, cosmetic. They, they're starting to move towards functional limbs, you know, uh, electronics inside of them and fingers that move and uh, joints that move mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, joints that move in full range of movement compared to the, the limb that was taken off. So, yeah, the, but that's a speciality on its own. Uh, our job ends at the point where the amputation is done and uh, the institution of the rehabilitation uh, from early rather than later to facilitate for the prosthetic limb to be then fitted. Mm-hmm. You uh, touched a little bit on artificial intelligence coming to the fore, but you know that's another program altogether. Suhail Ilyas says, Assalamu alaikum, Shafs and Jazakallah for another ace of a show. Uh, so informative. I know that a doctor uh, in the studio is a marvel. Hey, 
Doc. Uh, Dr. Firoza, please tell us, if a face is smashed in an accident, how difficult is it to put it together again? Another, hey, hey these people are asking us questions, Doc. Alhamdulillah. Look, see, faces, um, uh, that is also a speciality that is, is beyond uh, the, the trauma surgeon. We simple people, man. like I told you, there's a hole, we fix it. If we can't fix it, we take it out. So when it comes to faces and it comes to facial bones, um, those are usually referred either either and, uh, and or either to the maxillofacial surgeons or to the plastic surgeons, you know. And uh, Alhamdulillah, if you see the work that they do, with uh, injuries to the face and reconstructive surgery, uh, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, they do amazing work. Their reconstruction ability, alhamdulillah, is, is something else. Uh, you know, they do flaps and they bone craft and they put plates in. And uh, alhamdulillah, they do they do amazing things, mashallah. And but that's outside of, of my scope of practice. It, it, it's a speciality of its own. And alhamdulillah, I mean, we we see the results. Uh, lots of these patients come to us sometimes. Uh, uh, initially at the time of injury and they get referred to the plastic surgeon or sometimes they come from the plastic surgeon uh, to us post uh, elaborate surgery. And lots of them are subject to surgery that lasts for long periods of time and then uh, as a result of that they need to come to ICU post-surgery. So we see that, you know, and alhamdulillah the work that they've done or you, the, the advances that have taken in maxillofacial surgery and plastic surgery in the last couple of years also is phenomenal, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. A.K. Joseph says, Assalamu alaikum, brothers, and I salute you for upholding high standards of radio. I love the Marcus Radio Network. You guys are doing a great, mashallah. I'm proud of the doctor. Okay, please ask him for me. If a victim is shot in the eye, how possible is it to save the eye? Another good question. Uh, again, depending on uh, the, the same principle as with or similar principles like you spoke about limbs, you know. When would you take out the limb and when would you try and salvage the limb? The same principles again apply. Uh, this time, it's usually you call upon the ophthalmologist to decide. Uh, and depending on the extent and the severity of the injury, they decide whether or not the eye is salvageable or not. And depending on salvageability, then they decide whether they take the eye out or whether they embark on uh, repairing you know? What happens in the moment of operating when doctors have opposite views of the best way to do the em the emergency operation? Wow, another good question, Doc. Yeah, no, look, I mean, it, it happens. There's always differences of opinion. Uh, usually, you know, the, the, the more senior, the more experienced surgeons uh, are the ones that have the final decision as to what management is taken for the patient. Uh, the, the picture that you're painting uh, usually happens when uh, your intervention or your initial intervention doesn't work, you know. So uh, you go with, uh, there's usually um, uh, almost like a pyramid, you know. You start with the most, the, the, the simple intervention and you work towards the most difficult intervention. So uh, you fix it in the most uh, simplest, uh, least um, time-consuming and energy-consuming way. And, and if that doesn't work, then you escalate. And if that doesn't work, you escalate, you know. And as that happens, as you, if there is the, the difference of opinion, uh, I mean, it's something that uh, there's no time to fight about in theatre. Well, uh, usually if these decisions are critical uh, and they're going to uh, impact on the patient's outcome, it, it's a quick decision that is then made between the surgeons that are operating on the patient, you know. And uh, there's no room to be fighting, you know. It, it's what needs to be done. And again, you take a decision, and uh, like I said initially, 
it's usually the more experienced surgeon that will take the decisions and uh, you go with those and if that doesn't work then you go to the second or the third or the fourth tier to try and get control of what you need to do yeah yes sir doctor you're a natural in the operating theater and i can tell you this evening you're natural on radio so cool calm collected times over but alhamdulillah the parting words i'll let you have your parting words uh, this evening doctor yes uh, i think um, uh, the quick the what i mentioned earlier uh, regarding uh, first aid uh, in the home and uh, our working environments important inshallah um from a trauma point of view lots of patients die from bleeding if we can learn simple techniques of how to stop bleeding uh, may or may not be beneficial i mean it can only be beneficial inshallah uh, to outcomes of patients so it's something that we can look into inshallah something that we can offer uh, people first aid course uh, you know inshallah that's the first thing the second thing being you know uh, accountability to allah and obviously looking at it with uh, with um, the way Allah and Nabi Sallam have taught us to look at it you know for example using the covid scenario uh, it's, it's not the end of the world that there's covid uh, life for the muslimin there's khair in everything and and to look at it from those perspectives you know a glass of water is either half full or half empty you know and if you look at it with the, uh, the eyes of it being half full rather than half empty then there's always something to look forward to inshallah and uh, khair you know uh, for us muslimin alhamdulillah uh, Uh, that's good in dunya and inshallah akhirah is holding even much better inshallah inshallah i mean uh, dr jazakallah khairan for gracing the platform the ahmad sahaba the voice of the alus sunnah wal jamaa hope to have you in the near future you have a blessed evening ahead and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh to you wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh yes our dr firoz you know ganji really uh, giving us a top information this evening and a very pleasurable show indeed uh, time for us to go for the isha azan and when we get back uh, pertinence uh, punctuated uh, will be joining you